All right, we're live. Peter, here we are. Nothing holding us back. No edits. No, no edits. Don't let's not try and say anything like terribly racist. Let's try and keep it like a, on the racist scale. You know, one one being your your you know your 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 mother, and then ten being Hitler. Let's stay at around a seven. Yeah, that seems safe. Right. Sure, I don't think we ever really stray much deeper than that. Welcome to the live stream edition of V'ger Please, uh, celebrating the end of our watch of season one of Star Trek Voyager. And if for some reason you've stumbled across this and you're like, who the fuck are these two assholes? Uh, we've already done like 15 or 16 episodes reviewing each of the uh, installments of Voyager season one and, and making uh, savage fun of it all. Um, so I encourage you to go back and check that out. Um, but Peter, we made it, dude. We made it. I would call it the end of season, the ordeal of season one. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was rough at times. It I'm sitting no there reviewing. Around. I'm reviewing all my notes, getting prepped for this thing. I, I feel like this episode is more of a a high school or a college exam. Like I actually have my notebook. I took it to work with me, and I'm sitting there on like my lunch break, studying my old notes. I was like. What what the hell is my life? How did this happen? I I also took extensive notes, but because I edited the podcast, I had to listen to each of them twice. So I have everything that we said kind of like haunting my dreams. Uh, that's at least what my therapist says. Um, also, my therapist says I'm not going to forget that shithead episode, you know, until I pay another like two grand worth of sessions. So yeah, but um, you know, I'm, I'm pleased that we've been able to. To make it, my friend, it's it's a journey. You know, just a little background, I guess, for people that don't know or or have become fans of this, but don't know what we've done before. Uh, Peter and I have podcasted in the past, uh, in the ancient past of primitive podcasting. We we did something for a, a, a subculture uh, gaming group that we were in that was popular amongst that group. I want to say you you were probably I, we started in two thousand six. I think you were probably involved with it what two thousand ten. I don't know. It was a long time ago. It's funny too. I mean, had had we stayed with it, I mean, I think we might have actually been a pretty big deal. Like we were in the podcast game, maybe even before it's even called a podcast. Yeah, it was a podcast then because it, it it came along at the same time as the iPod. So it was definitely a term that was out there. But um, we we did that off and on for I want to say three or four years after uh, we expanded the team to include you. But we said from the beginning. Man, we need to do like another one that's like Star Trek focused because we instantly bonded over the fact that we're huge uh, Trek nerds. And back then, there wasn't all the robust kind of remote tools. We had to actually be in the same place at the same time. Shit was weird, and uh, we couldn't make it work because we live a couple hours apart. But you know, keep coming up a little bit here and there, and eventually, um, you know, we it came up in discussion again you know, a few months ago. And I'm like, you know, I think we can actually do it this time. And, and sure enough, we've been able to pull it off and it's been a lot of fun. No regrets. Well, you know, I was going to say no regrets. I think there's a lot of regrets. There's, there's a season one say, full of regrets. <laughs> I've had fun in my regret. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I kind of dragged you into doing Voyager for this. Cause we had all these ideas for what we were going to do for our Star Trek podcast. And mine was, let's do episode reviews of Star Trek Voyager. And you're like, but why? 
Yes, but why? And my point was, A, it's something no one has done, mm -hmm. and B, it's this weird unloved child that is unloved for a reason, and bad makes for comedy. My concern from the outset and, and why I think I ultimately uh, endorsed your decision to go with Voyager was I was worried that had we gone with one of the other franchises, our podcast might have been too good. <laughs> <laughs> or we've been slobbering all over the, the show's balls like, oh, yes, DS9. Yes, I love you. Mm, let me get that whole shaft down my throat. Like, uh Voyager allows us to have some sort of level of like comedic distance as if to say, you know, occasionally it can be good, but mostly it's not. So we can, we can take a step back and, and make all of the dick jokes that we can think of. And that's important. So uh, one thing that we are doing uh, this evening is uh, Peter and I, we, we are lucky enough that we don't want to do this for any other reason than we just want to entertain people. Um, so in lieu of, of wanting to solicit for any kind of money or donations or anything like that, we would ask if you have enjoyed the show for the first season, um, we have a, 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 a GoFundMe uh, that I've, I've put a link to in the chat and I've linked to in our Facebook uh, group and on our Facebook page. Um, it's for an acquaintance of both of Peter and I. Uh, she has unfortunately got a pretty devastating medical diagnosis recently. Um, and she and her family are going to have to be dealing with that. And as we all know, that's incredibly expensive and difficult to deal with, even when it's not something that is very, very much life-threatening. So if you are feeling generous and you've enjoyed the show, click on the link and donate whatever it is that you feel that you can donate. Everyone involved will appreciate it. We will certainly appreciate it as well. So on that note, Peter... Where would you like to go first? Would you like to do some... I uh, want to go first to uh, shout out to the viewers uh, that we might have sitting at home. <clears throat> uh, unlike our normal shows, we're actually running this one through uh, Google Hangouts YouTube type deal. Mm -hmm. So I can't see how many people we might have in our, uh, our chat room. Do you? Yes, I do. It's two. Not wow. two, other. <laughs> two other people. Joe, I was hoping yeah. you'd lie and be like, you know, we got like 200. Uh, so to the two people who are good enough to, uh, come out, who, who we got in there, Joe? I don't, I don't know who they are. I just know that they're viewers. They might make themselves known now that we've pointed out there are two of them. Um, but, uh, you two, whoever you two are, you're the best. You are, you are the real super fans out there. Um, anyway, yeah, but so, uh, they're in a the chat room and, uh, maybe we'll get some more out there. We'll see. Uh, to the two lonely souls, feel free to jump in with any questions or comments you might have. We're here for you on this one. Uh, we've got some of our own uh, material ready to go, but I'd uh, love to take some some uh, participation from the, the swarthing crowd of <laughs> of listeners we got out there right now. Yeah, we've got uh, Cabreth has chimed in on the, on, the chart, uh, on, the, on the chat. Hashtag number one fan, and indeed... That may be the only comment we get. So, you the you the man slash woman. I don't know. It's gender neutral. Hmm. Um, I say we hand out some awards, Peter. Let's hand out some end of season one awards. Rest in peace, uh, season one. Um, we've got a, quite a few options that were presented by the Facebook group, and yeah, I jump started with some pretty hateful suggestions, and people ran with it. 
very hard. They did. They did. Um, I'd like to start like from from bottom to top in terms of those that were receiving votes. And number number one on on my list that I think we need to consider best Bolana Torres temper tantrum award. Let's see. What are our options to choose from? There is uh, the temper tantrum shortly after she broke Joe Carey's nose and then vehemently threw a tin cup at Chakotay's ankle. That's one. There's that. That's one. Uh, number two, of course, uh, would be in the in, in Caretaker uh, when she uh, flipped out first on the Ocampan doctors that were trying to help her with her space syphilis that uh, was never cured. Uh, and then sort of also flipped out on Harry Kim, um, where she was like in her bathrobe thing that they all had on, and she mm-hmm. was just like being stereotypically angry. And then I guess you'd also have to give faces its due. Um, there was definitely some temper there um, from from Klingon Bolana wanting to basically murder everybody. I'm gonna give my award for the best Bolana Taurus flip out moment to. Uh... What was that terrible Space Baby one? No, it wasn't Space Baby. It was one of the bad time travel dilation ones where uh, she's getting eyeballed for a promotion and Janeway calls her into the ready room and kind of like tries to feel her out a little bit and she basically storms off on Janeway and, and, you know, with this I don't want your stupid job anywhere attitude. Yeah, that's parallax. That's the one with the. It's not the the exact temper tantrum where she throws the like ashtray at Chicote's uh, ankle, um, but yeah, it was the bad HR moment from that episode. And I agree, uh, that's a strong choice. Um, but I'm going to give it to the premiere uh, because nothing quite like introducing your character by pointlessly Star Trek fighting with the only Asian left in the Delta Quadrant. Um, it was just like classic Trek fighting with like both hands, you know, over the back. Um, really started out strong. I liked that. A lot of spunk in that one. So what, what awards would you like to hand out next, Peter? <clears throat> Let me pull up my list here. Um, hmm. So many good ones to choose from. Joe, I want to ask you, what do you think your most 90s moment in the show was? The most 90s moment? Mm-hmm. That would absolutely have to be the um, obsession with Chakotay's Indian heritage. That is such an artifact of the 90s. Like that whole mode that uh, that in, in, a Native American spirituality is like this... this uh, um, curiosity not to be treated like a serious spiritual belief but that it's like cultural tourism for the, the lack of a better phrase tourism, uh that, yeah. that that is is a 90s trope uh across all mediums and voyager does it best slash worse than anybody good well, call air, i think it's it's a, it's a problem were a, a tight second though i'm gonna those Air Jordans 10, I just threw the link up for on there. I, I don't know why I can't shake that, you know, Star Trek was used. In my high school, Air Jordans were a big deal. So um, I, I just find it very appropriate that, or funny that Star Trek used them in uh, their little thing. 
Uh, for my 90s moment <clears throat> award, I'm going to say nothing's going to beat out the pilot when uh, we got a nice screen full of the Ocampa Sanctuary Mall Escalator. It really set the tone for the rest of the show that they had key expository dialogue in their pilot episode on a fucking shopping mall escalator somewhere in LA. That's what it looks like. It's like they were going to the to the to the, the fucking Apple store. I'm sorry, no, it's the nineties. I guess they were going to like fucking Sears. I guess that was Babbages. Babbages, there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh and they're like, oh, well, let's go ahead and break down everything that's happened to us since we got catapulted to get across the galaxy. It was such an, a bizarre choice. It was absolutely batshit. And it, it, it informed the sort of laziness that made season one what it was. I guess let's, let's take a second to talk about that. What was your impression of season one overall? What did you think of it? I, I'm, I'm split, man. Like I didn't hate it as much as I thought I was. Like th- I thought there were some genuinely excellent episodes uh, in this season, but I, I, there's a very good reason I think why I didn't watch a show when it initially came out. And it's there's a lot of crap to wade through to get to the good stuff. And uh, you know when we're going through and watching these. We're not doing so as regular viewers. Like you and I are going to watch all these things regardless, all these episodes. So for me, you know, a good episode isn't always good TV or great acting. Sometimes it's just a being a Trek fan. It's it's a good resource episode. Like um, Learning Curve, which was the finale. You know, um, not not really good episode, but it fills in a lot of holes in you know, Trek lore for me, it gets some good background on technology and other stuff. And, uh, it's, it's a good resource episode and there's a few of those. Um, but overall, uh, I I can't expect that that noise was perfect to describe my own feelings that, that sort of like half-hearted sigh Voyager had like, I, I would say they had one really good episode in the entire first season. Like, genuinely good Trek. Like, st- start to finish, well-written, well-paced, good 44-minute story, like, no problems. They had one of those. But they didn't have as much shit as I thought, like, as my ancestral memory told me. Or it's like, maybe, like, that I'd gleaned from other people's reactions. But I remembered a lot of the episodes that led in part, but watching through it all again and having got my wife watched all of them with me. So I got, I had her kind of fresh perspective as well. It was just a lot of mediocrity would be the, the operative term. It was really just kind of eh most of the time. And there was a couple episodes around the high side of eh, and there were a couple episodes on the low side of eh, and there was like a couple real garbage moments, the uh, ex post facto, the the shitheads um you know that sort of thing but overall i kind of came through it like eh, eh, eh. and again this isn't a star trek franchise that existed you know where they'd knock the rust off like this is full stride next gen wrapped amazingly ds9's hitting it hard so for them to come in and stumble and i don't know man just some really bad 
decisions at the top management level. We've got some comments going on in our uh, our uh, chat room over here. I went ahead and joined, so we shouldn't have three pe- <laughs> three people, one of which being me. Uh, That's good. That's good. Yeah. Cabrath asking, uh, you know, what episode? I think he's referring to what did you think the great episode was? And I'm going to have to say that. Well, let's go ahead and bust that out right now, and I'll let you explain it. I think I know what it's going to be, but what uh, what are you going to call your best episode for this season? I the needle by far, no doubt, no question. It was the best uh, episode in the entire season. It was the only one I would say qualified <clears throat> as quality trek without reservation. Uh, it was a tight narrative. It had just one A story, no B plot. Uh, the way they wrote it actually used a kind of sense of symmetry among the characters to try and convey the story. Um, it was a a conundrum that had internal logic. Um, and the way it basically made it so that, you know, it, you continued on with the show without it actually getting them home had like a gut punch. And then it had a follow up gut haymaker that you just kind of got stuck with at the end in a way that was well paced and, and, and well delivered. A, a great television episode and a great Trek episode acting was good. And, and, in some ways, that episode represented its the show's potential, the potential of the premise and the potential of the people they have on the show, which kind of makes the mediocre and then shit that comes later all the more frustrating. What about you? What's your favorite? Well, I want to talk about this before we move on. Voyager, again, on paper, and we've said it a few times now, wild potential. I mean, just you and me bullshit and shooting from the hip uh, as we've gone through these and rewritten a couple episodes on the air. Super great foundation for some really, really cool stuff. Uh, and just from what I've seen so far, and maybe they'll fix it later on in the series, it's a lot of failure to deliver on uh, tremendous promise. Uh, I think you're right. And I think that, uh, you know, needle is, uh, is probably the best episode out of this, but uh I'm going to give my award to – I'm going to have to give it to the Skeevians, man. Um, Prime Factors. Uh, I don't know what it was about it. It just scratched a lot of deep itches. A lot of the frustrations that I've had with the show, uh, I think they walked through in that episode. They did a great job of setting up some logical progressions of arguments that I in the audience was starting to make and then did a great job delivering on them and – it was a really good episode of everything going wrong, uh, a lot of risk, and ultimately no rewards. So it was a, it was a an episode that stung. And then you know, from a podcasting standpoint, uh, Vlad Goldblum <laughs> turned into comedy gold. Uh, it was very that easy first fifteen minutes of that episode was absolutely delightful. Mm-hmm. I was new watching it, and like I could see the jokes just like bursting, like yeah. my, my mind was expanding. Yeah. To know things that I didn't already know. I mean, it was like an appetizer of uh, of uh, atomic warheads just puckering your mouth with shit. And then all of a sudden, you know, taking a nice drink of uh, water and, and, and clearing away the crap and getting into a really good uh, episode. Um, I agree that 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 the uh, Prime Factors was on the high side of adequate for me. Um, mostly because of the Bolana Seska, Joe Carey part. Conspiracy, yeah. Yeah, but I, I really 
episodes succeed or fail for me sometimes on the hinge of what they do with Janeway. And that was a really shitty episode for her and how they wrote her and had her approach what was going on. Like when they have her be the captain, she's really great. When they have her be the sensitive lady who has to like have be all locked on her fifis, I've just grown. Um, But I would say that's definitely among the better episodes of the season. Um, What would be the worst one for you, Peter? I know what mine is. What's yours? I think it's gonna have to be the oh geez let me uh hmm. so many to pick from uh god you're <laughs> how do i pick a worst um fyi when you google vlad goldblum this podcast is the first three results <laughs> wow all the uses of we got that corner yeah thanks google uh I don't know, Vlad Goldblum and the Skeevians, I think that could be a pretty cool t-shirt if we, like, stage it out like a band. Like, <laughs> it would be my Just band. Like playing the guitar on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to go, as, as much as I want to go time and again for my worst, uh... And I just got a, a recommendation out from the audience, Emanations, which I hated. Uh, until and and I'll give Joe a little bit of credit. The more I thought on it, the the better it came. But I would never. I don't think I'm ready to put it in the good category. Um, I think I gotta go with ex post facto. Uh, I stole it out right out my brain. I was gonna say the same thing. Ex post facto was the one where Tom Paris ends up on the planet of shitheads uh, in one of the most cockamamie plots. I, I think they really had the. <laughs> I almost jumped into season two with that goddamn thirty sevens. <laughs> yeah, sorry, we already recorded our episode for season two, episode one, because I'm I'm having some surgery, so uh, we wanted to get ahead of the game, and uh, we're not gonna come to a a, a stringing success at the gate. Um, it's a little teaser uh, for me. It, it's it's. There's a competition for worst episode of season one between ex post facto and time and again, which were the the third and fourth episode respectively. Remember, so we had like time stuff back to back, like three times in a row. Uh, is part of the main issue of what's going on, and uh, time and again was the one with was the candy corn tragedy, uh, where they're like on a planet. And it just so happens that the alien is exactly looks like humans, except in the laziest fucking costumes ever. And the plot just seems very unfocused and people just do things for, for things that for no reason. And, and Chakoji is like super into Kess's shit and there's no explanation as to why. Um, and we can see Jean, we get cocked in the mouth and it's like the best part. The best part of that episode, hands down, is when they approach the weakest riot you've ever seen and the cops start shooting the gun and like people go to get away and Janeway just rolls right up on this cop shooting a gun and gets uh, busted across the jaw with a space nightstick. But to me, ex post facto is still worse for one reason. Yeah. The shitheads. <laughs> like that alien design is astonishingly bad. Well, let's go ahead and jump 
let's just jump right in right now to uh, one of the higher rated questions we had for an award. Uh, the worst alien species, which I think you're going to have to agree with me on this one, hands down. And I actually had to go onto Wikipedia and look up what the, the shitheads really were. They're the the Baina, Bane, Bania, Banana, B A N A. They're the shitheads. shitheads. <laughs> like birds have swooped in and scooped up piles of different types of animal poop and caked them around the face and then tucked feathers and like. 90s hair wisps out of them uh not only are they revolt i'll give the costume department props for making something genuinely disgusting that i didn't want to look at a, a pretty good alien design but not only were they ugly as hell on screen but just stupid and uh the costume design too and the and the furniture and the rooms like they went out of the way for that whole episode to look like just garbage yeah uh breath out there <clears throat> in our chat room I had a good conversation with him. He pointed, I, I checked out of ex post facto so hard at all the episodes. I've got like maybe half a page of notes and I usually average a full page to two pages of notes on these episodes. I checked the fuck out on this thing. Um, if I recall correctly, I think you told me like you didn't remember the second half of the episode or like a middle portion of it. Cause you just didn't give a shit. Yeah. Can I, can I touch on some key elements with this that were pointed out to me? Please. The whole technology on this episode came down to uh, guilty parties in a murder being implanted, impregnated with a reoccurring memory of the victim's last few moments before they got killed as kind of a tormenting punishment, right? That is correct. That was the whole plot line. And the, the plot is ultimately that secret technology was being traded illegally by the shitheads, by a shithead defector to uh, their enemy, the Ninja Turtles, tur turtles, T-U-R-D, poop, right. poop people, also poop people, um, and that they were going to use Paris as a patsy to smuggle information off the planet in his memory. Correct. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Cabreth hits hits the nail on the head with these things. So. The shitheads have the technology to A, read and copy memories, right? Mm -hmm. Then implant memories, then alter memories to the point where obnoxious data stream floats inside the memories. Number four, you can trigger these memories on a cyclical timer and force the person to see them. Mm -hmm. uh, and all these technologies are wrapped up in some unseen magical device that's off camera at all times. Uh, mm -hmm. And it makes the whole premise of needing Starfleet to smuggle that shit off world pointless because instead of making it a murder, you could have just made it look like the 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 alien doctor died of an accident um, because, you know, they can rewrite these memories. You know, the coroner is going to say, well, it looks uh, like this guy slipped and fell on a knife while getting it from the kitchen. And uh, his wife, who's also part of the conspiracy, says he did. Let's check the tapes. Yep, looks like he slipped on a knife. Um so, you know, the fact that you need a patsy would be ridiculous. And you could have extracted all the scientific knowledge out of this guy's brain, implemented it into fake memory to be encoded, uh, put it on a timer so even the person who had it didn't know, and, and let him go off world. The, the idea that you needed Starfleet to smuggle this off of here was just ridiculous. I refuse to put that much effort into thinking about the episode because they didn't put that much effort into making it. That's my hot take. 
Yeah, well, like that's, uh, it, that's the a... plot was a excuse to do a noir story in space. That is what they wanted to do. They wanted to do uh, uh, the Maltese Falcon by way of Voyager, and that's a fine idea and concept. But like the other fine idea and concept they had over the season, which was a uh, learning curve, uh, they stuck it on fucking Tuvok, which is always a terrible fucking idea because he's your one character that can't emote, that can't actually have like breakthroughs and revelations and take you on a journey with him he's the one guy who's incapable of doing that by design so they gave the the detective story to the guy who's going to be least interesting doing a fucking detective story and they didn't get around to it being a detective story until i'd say a third of the episode in so by the time they actually get going with that there's only 30 minutes left in the episode i mean it's 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 a shitty story it's Bobby. boring there's there's uh, a ton of bad uh, uh um, design on all fronts and on top of that the story makes much sense and yeah lavar burton need an excuse to leave reading rainbow to do noir i want to jump even... in our i want to jump in our comments section where he'll uh is that dahaka jack is am i saying that right yeah Says uh, it's telling that in the twenty plus years after Star Trek Voyager, I couldn't have named any of the non-cast aliens from the first few years of the series. The only ones which stuck with Species Eight Four Seven Two, which was a late comer. Um, so, are you going to include even the Kazon in that? Yeah, I mean that's a good point. I definitely remembered the Kazon, and I definitely remembered the Vidians. Um, and then the Ocampans and well, and that's that's the, a crew member. I mean, he yeah, I guess okay. But the so, the 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 Kazon and the Vidians, I remembered. Uh, I remembered I the Kazon because they seemed like Klingon ripoffs. Don't get me wrong; I didn't remember came Klingons. Klingons. Use the correct terminology. Sorry. And again, the the sad part here is there's a lot of wasted potential. The Vidians, uh, and we've got more episodes to come with them, and hopefully they can kind of redeem themselves a little bit. Um, but certainly the Skeevians, you know, I've thought a lot about the Skeevians and I think you could have done some really excellent things with them, but just never happened. Let's, Last uh, opportunity. let's, let's go for something a little bit more upbeat here. Um, well, <laughs> we got the one question here. What's the worst alien wardrobe? I think, uh, that one doesn't even need to be asked. Can I think we just asked and answered? <laughs> yeah. Um, let's go the opposite direction here. Uh, what do you think the coolest scene we saw out of season one was? Coolest scene? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm going to say, I'm going to go with the scene that, like, stuck with me. That, that, like, I remember the most vividly and was like, uh, um, I think the, the, the the most dramatically interesting. Um, and that is when Janeway has her first confrontation in person with the Fideans in the episode, the phage. Um, I, I think I expressed at length how much I liked it when we did the episode about that. I then, you know, went into a rant about why that episode, the whole episode as a whole kind of bothered me because it was, Stupid Janeway juxtaposed with awesome Janeway. Um, but that whole scene was top-notch. I mean, she fucking killed it. And 
it, it really like put the dilemma that she's in out there by her fucking self. So to refresh the audience's uh, attend <clears throat> memory on this one, uh, the Voyager had finally captured the two captured the two Vidians who stole Neelix's lungs. Snarf, snarf. I'm sorry, snarf, snarf's lungs after he was snarfing around out of bounds. And uh, the whole scope of what the Vidians deal is with the phage, why they're stealing organs and all that other stuff gets laid out. And uh, it's kind of this Kevin Uxbridge moment, if you remember that, out of Star Trek Next Generation, where like the scope of the crime is just so broad that Starfleet, a Starfleet captain has no, uh, no, no chance to even attempt to judge it, let alone try and punish it. And her only option is really just to let these monsters go. Like yeah. she doesn't want to let them go, but her other option is basically summary execution, which she's not willing to do. Um, and there's a lot of gravitas in the scene. Now we are the most popular one in the chat right now is the Cathex's fight scene. And I definitely think that was rad. Uh, but the, that phage scene, I think had dramatic chops in it. I wouldn't even make the Cathexus my, my number two, my number two would definitely be the last scene from Eye of the Needle when they, when Tuvok lays down that the, uh, the Romulan scientist wasn't going to survive long enough to deliver their messages. And it's very nonverbal and it's a lot of reaction shots. And then it's the role reversal of the doubters versus the believers. And I thought that was dramatically well, uh, constructed as well. I put my coolest scene as the Chakotay possession bridge brawl, which is the Cathexis, uh, thing. Star Trek never has good physical fights. Even the movies, it really takes a lot to yeah. to do something impressive. Like certainly the the J.J. Uh, Abrams Kelvin universe is a different story, but uh, you know Star Trek never quite sells it. So yeah, the the fist fighting and the wide phaser usage and the back and forth and the the chaos of it all that was a really good scene. It was amazing that it came out of actually Voyager. I'm gonna put my uh, my runner up. Uh, jumping over to oh geez what was a what was a Sesco one <clears throat> um, state of flux yes the uh, disaster over and on the Kazon Nistrum ship where you've got you know some some really choice industrial accident action going on with Kazons fused into the bulkhead radiation <laughs> spilling everywhere. Um, yeah, you love those industrial accidents. And, 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 I, and it becomes a really cool prop yeah. that they use with uh, Seska trying to return to the scene of the crime and clean up after herself. Um, a lot of good potential there, and they realize on it hard. Uh, the Weakest Shit Award was one you felt strongly about. Uh, very shit. strongly. I, I think if any award is the most appropriate for Voyager... It, it's got to be this one. It was weak as shit award. <laughs> was born out of my growing outrage for a very specific moment to the point where I was like, we need to just do awards across the board. What was your weakest, your your greatest example of uh, weakest shit? Um, it's hard to pin down exactly what point in the episode best qualifies for the weakest shit. Um, I'm going to go with the ending of Time and Again. That whole episode typifies the weakest shit for me. 
This again is the candy corn tragedy. Yeah, the candy corn tragedy. The ending of that episode is the weakest shit. Because the ending is Janeway shoots the time bubble with her phaser. And that's it. Everything gets reset back to normal. And none of it ever happened. You have all this buildup that they're, you know, like Kess has got something to do with making it so that this paradox doesn't repeat itself. And then in the end, Kess has nothing to do with that whatsoever. The whole sequence plays out again exactly the way you would expect it to, to cause a problem. And it just doesn't cause a paradox that time for no reason that gets explained. It's just over. Like the rest of the episode, just kind of, just there's this wet fart. And that is that typifies the weakest shit. It's an excellent point. And uh, yeah, I actually forgot about just how bad that was. But that whole episode... It was weeks ago now, right? Like it's not in our forefront anymore, but that stuck with me. Yeah. Sat in the back of my brain. That whole episode was garbage, though. So the whole thing got written off. And I didn't, I couldn't really get mad about it because you knew that there was going to be no saving that. I want to go back to Jatral, which is. uh, Missed opportunity is the episode. Yeah. Because that whole episode had the potential to be nothing but excellent. You had A plus acting. You had a really, you know, strong premise. You could have gone a lot of different directions um, and just writing a hamstring the, the whole time. The the last scene where the cat's out of the bag, Jatral really is guilt racked. Um, he regrets what he has done, uh, and he has basically dedicated what's left of his life into trying to undo it. The guy has a super solid scientific theory that they could Dr. Manhattan all of the people he vaporized back together using the uh, you know the Federation transporter technology. And he's basically on his hands and knees and begging Chico- uh, no, Tuvok yeah. and Janeway, please let me try this. It takes Neelix being like, well, hey, come on. So they give it the old uh, college try, give it one shot. They get like 75% of a Talaxian test subject formed. They lose the signal, and they're like, "Mm, you know what? We tried, and wouldn't you know it, the math just isn't good. And it's like all the shit that they have just jammed themselves into, all the situations they didn't belong in, all the cockamamie hail mary science that they pull off under the gun and and the massive feats that this ship has been able to accomplish and they give it the most weak limp-wristed attempt to save an entire world possible and and it, it just flies in the face of everything that they've shown you that starfleet and the federation is about i i it was a hurdle i just couldn't get over um and, and I can't forgive the crew. Yeah, considering how much time, like as you've explained, that they they spent, this guy had a solid idea behind it, and that it, in the scene it almost works. Like it, it the first bare effort they made, like they kind of got it to half work. That like they're like, oh no, it's just impossible. We're not even going to try anymore. It's just. Nobody in that nobody in that yeah. transport room even had a blue uniform. You didn't bring a single science person. Well, if the tactical officer and the captain can't pull it off, I guess it's just beyond our comprehension. Um, and I thought there was a couple other missed opportunities there. 
in that episode too. Specifically, you know, they're hanging out over what Talaxi or whatever the hell it's called. Like this is Neelix's home. Yeah. I, I thought it would have been cool. Like, you know, I didn't have a, a fork in his road and be like, well, you know what? I'm back here. Do I want to keep going forward? Or is now a time to, you know, kind of reconcile my past and, and try and strike out. And it would have been a good character development moment for him to, to be confronted with the option of I'm home. What do I do? And also I, I want to just throw in here real quick. Like, that was what was Cathex or Jitra? That was episode. That was the second to last episode of the season. So, so that's a whole season of Voyager flying from wherever the hell Caretaker Relay was, and only now getting to where his homeworld was. Like Neelix was far away from home. Like that's that's some real scale, I think, to show you what we're dealing with in the Delta Quadrant here. Yeah, considering his little shitty little ship probably didn't go as fast as Voyager, albeit with less, you know, diversion. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask a question of the audience. Hey, Stevie. Hey, baby. Darling? Hey. Hey, Steve. Bad. I was trying to get your attention to this, babe. What? Do you want to participate at all? Uh. Uh, <laughs> Just put her on the spot, Joe. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I was going to ask her what she thought the weakest shit was, but she was watching some weeaboo shit. You knew what I was when you married me. That's true um it's been fun watching it with her because you know i have an impeached viewpoint i'm a truck fan uh i've seen all of this you have an impeached viewpoint you're a truck fan and hasn't seen any of this she's barely watched any star trek at all and so she's watching it more in a vacuum mm -hmm. average joe yeah and it's interesting to see how that might have been received Given, you know, ultimately that's what they were trying to go for when they made the show. Like, the UPN was attempting to make this the anchor of their network. They wanted people, quite frankly, like Stevie, to watch it. A, a woman, you know, they really were obviously trying to appeal to a mass demographic, not just nerdy dudes, uh, by, by, you know, by having a female captain. I mean, I think that was a conscious choice on their part, and I think that was a... a interesting one um i'm i'm excited about like when we get to some really good stuff later on but man the slog that we went through her you asked a question to the audience <clears throat> what did you guys think the uh weakest shit of the season was and while we're waiting for some responses to come in on that uh joe what did you think the worst line of the season was Worst line of dialogue. Mm. Worst single line of dialogue. Yeah. I'll go ahead and jump on with mine while you think about it, because that's when Please I really do. put some thought in. Uh, this was going to be out of emanations, the beginning where it is the biggest waste of potential of the entire season. You could have had space spider caverns for the, 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 the ultimate dungeon crawl. Instead, it's, uh, I don't know, the teleportation receptacle of... Would we call those guys uh, Kevorkian buttheads? Yes. So when the Kevorkian buttheads die, they get in their, their poo pods to be whisked away into the next life. They end up there. And so, you know, they're walking around. What you think is like really cool spider rap victims is really just dead guys decomposing. But right in the beginning of the, the episode, they beam onto this thing because they find some new Delta Quadrant um, element. 
and uh, Chakotay gets out his Native American jump to conclusion mat and, and decides that this is a very careful burial ground and that it shouldn't be disturbed. And the Federation of Technocrat Scientists on an exploration trek, <clears throat> he makes a recommendation that not only do they not disturb anything, but they go so far, the literal line is, I recommend we make visual observations only, no tricorders, not even passive scans. Like, what? You're all scientists and you're not even using your passive tricorders. And of course, you know, that, that little line there will go on to haunt Harry Kim the rest of that episode because he doesn't have any of the information that would have made things very easy for him. I, I think that uh, that's not the weakest line. Like there are some real clunkers. Um, I will go to Chicote for mine. We'll be in uh, uh, Parallax. So it was the first full episode after the pilot. And when two Maki, Seska, and Random Dude uh, suggest to him that they're ready to revolt against the Starfleet crew for having uh, Balana in prison for punching Joe Carey. And he, like, stops at the doorway and says, if you talk like that again, I'll have you thrown on the brig. And he says it with the authority of a substitute teacher. Like, he says it with the authority of somebody who's, like, threatening to send you to detention. But you know he's not going to because he doesn't care that much. Yeah, well, that was a good moment of personal growth for Chakotay because I think that he, like, walked on that turbo lift. It's like, God, man, I really sound like a chump there. You know what? Next time they're talking about fucking mutiny, I just need to lunch punch. punch. Yeah. I'm going to lunch punch people right out of the chair. I don't care how many Cardassians rape their wife. I'm going to knock them the fuck out. Um, we got some we have some. Yeah, we have some responses for the weakest shit. Uh, we see uh, Cabreth's the weakest shit for me is always the jump to conclusions reasoning. So for me, it's Chakotay's spirit map making sense to the doctor. That was that was bad shit. Uh, Dr. Hackajack, weakest, not leaving the energy-sucking nebula ASAP. In Which time? The cloud. In the cloud! Which time are we talking about the Voyager rolling the dice on some silly situation where they think they can get ahead, failing, losing energy, and then going right back in? Okay, can we can we remark on the fact that we've done this live stream for 46 minutes and we have not yet mentioned the cloud? Possibly, like, the most hilariously bad shit we watched. Like, I, I think it's not on our worst because it amused the crap out of us about how bad it was. This it is, was, uh, for everybody else, this was uh, the Tom Paris sex dungeon. Yeah, well, yeah. The, well, I mean, let's put it in context, Peter. This was the episode that was like four B-plots. It didn't have like a, 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 a coherent structure. It was Tom Paris's uh, – it was Big Tom's discount sex barn on the holodeck where he creeped in – he B&E'd into Harry Kim's bedroom to show him his sex toys. Mm -hmm. um, you had uh, – uh, Neelix starting his hobo kitchen and Janeway wanting coffee and, and not having to resort to eating Talaxian space rat a la mode or whatever the fuck he was making. Uh, and some, some, some cockamamie explanation from the doctor about how they were going to like suture this nebula that they accidentally broke into. That was actually a, a giant space baby. It was terrible. You know, it was terrible, but the whole, the top Paris shit saved it because it was so bad. Your recap, 
I kind of wish I still had roommates or I was still going to a lot of conventions with my friends or something because from henceforth, I got a new a new word. It's going to be pulling a Paris. And that's pulling a Paris is when you creep up on someone's bed and then nudge them awake to tell them about a sex fantasy or show them a sock that you've been beating off. And, and I think in the right kind of like... It's something you, you should have done that in your frat days, my friend. Ah, dude, I'm telling you, that would be the best like fraternity hazing thing possible. Like, uh-oh, on Wednesdays of Hell Week, we go in the pledges room and pull a Paris. Man. All right, who we got next? Uh, we got, uh, yeah, not leaving the energy-sucking Nebula ASAP. Some some classic Janeway there. Ian Paxson, Janeway's treatment of the Prime Directive, always infuriating. Always. And the, the problem is there's so many of them, it's it's hard to nail down one of those. Uh, Jess McConville, who just joined us, weakest Chicote always. What the fuck, dude? Uh, you know, again, I... I Chicote got some pretty good brownie points in my book. He fucking lunch punched Dobie in the mouth. So <laughs> that, that was a strong Indian Falcon punched him. Let's let's be clear. It was like it was just this weird left hand stage punch that looked like it would never have had the result that it had. Yeah. Which is why he had to use his in, his Indian powers. He put his ass into it. Uh, <laughs> and then we also got a, a good call out on the general weakness of uh, Voyager, which is a failure to communicate uh, when people have really good reasons and ideas instead of just being up front being like, hey guys, you know, here's this thing I'm dealing with. Everybody's got to play games to make a melodramatic episode out of it. Um, I mean, I actually, uh, uh, Hackajack, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that the Tuvok is this Romulan from the past thing, not bringing that up is 100% valid uh, in terms of like the in-episode logic of why he didn't. Because they, A, they didn't know he was from the past until he was there. And then two, or B, rather, um, when they figured out who he was, it was at the very end of his time there. Because he didn't tell them their name until after they were done with the discussion in the conference room. So he had very little opportunity to even know he was from the past. Very, even less opportunity to look up where he, what, what, who he actually was, and then there was the issue of the temporal prime directive, which Tuvok may actually care about. We know Janeway doesn't care about the prime directive, but Tuvok probably does, and therefore that's why he didn't say anything. You know, and God that makes me even more mad though, because prime factors again, Tuvok shows that in a push come to shove situation. Despite whatever he says in uh, <clears throat> learning curve about you know being a stickler for protocol, Tuvok breaks the fucking rules on like an epic scale. Oh, that's, one that's why thing to do it. It's one thing to do it for the the fucking Maki Breakfast Club, and it's another thing to break time. There's there's there's, there's stages here, you know. I disagree. I, I, out of all the shit that Tuvok's pulled, if I was Janeway, I would still say the times needle or the eye of the needle was uh, his worst transgression. And Hackajack, in response to what you just said, he obviously didn't trust Janeway with decisions about prime director. Yeah, he, and he's pointing out, that's my, that's my <laughs> comment during, during that episode. Let Janeway be the one to make the call. Put the, put the options on the table, let the captain choose, and that's the second time he decided that he knew better than she did. Uh, Joe, we covered the worst line. If you could, what would you call the best line of the season? 
best line of the season. Yeah, it's another one you might want to think on. Do you want me to jump on with yeah, mine? If you got one, yeah. I have a couple options in my head. Let me ruminate while I listen to you. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Seska Burn Queen, man. When she jumps off on Chakotay's ass with, uh, why don't you go talk to your animal guide and figure it out? Like, <laughs> As hard as Chakotay blasted Doby in the mouth. Seska came out with a, a roundhouse kick to his dome. That's my first one. My second one actually was Chicote from that same episode of uh, uh, oh jeez, what was that episode called? Eh, whatever. When he busts out the you were working for her, she was work. You know, <clears throat> Tuvok was working for uh, Janeway, and Seska was working for the Cardassians. Was anybody on that ship working with me for me? A lot of emotion behind it. And uh, a really good character growth moment for what was one of the weakest characters on the show up to that point. Chicote had a great episode with with uh, State of Flux, no doubt. And those are good, worthy choices. But Peter, the best line, the best dialogue in the entire season. You fucking say that shit about the womb. No, 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 no. The best dialogue of the season is Crewman Dolby. No, come and on, don't. <laughs> Lay it out for Tuvok that he watched his wife be raped and murdered. <laughs> like that was amazing. That was that was a showstopper. I thought it was gonna be Harry Kim's like womb talk. No, I, yeah, actually Peter said the same thing. So <laughs> my wife thought it was gonna be Harry Kim talking about being in the womb too. Just so you know, you two are on this on on similar wavelengths, but but yeah, the 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 number one moment of exchange and dialogue is Crewman Dolby like, yeah, I was living I was living on this planet and I'd settled down and I found peace and then my wife was raped and murdered by Cardassians and so I hate them. That was absolutely amazing. That was startling. I, I loved it. Well, speaking of Cardassians, let's jump over to another uh, big favorite in the vote oh, yeah. for, for best of. Best use of my favorite character on Voyager, Cardassian Hallway. Mm, let's, yeah, let's give it up for Cardassian Hallway. It was MVP of season one for sure. It's just time and time again. It was ready to perform. It was ready to deliver. What's mm -hmm. your number one? I'm going to have to go with the secret Vidian entrance from uh, Phage. Uh, while mucking around a very 90s TV, made-for-TV cave, uh, they end up shooting a holographic wall and uh, creeping into a very tech-heavy secret layer of the Vidians, which was, of course, a reused hallway from time and again, the Candy Corn tragedy, where Janeway <laughs> saves a day by shooting a, I don't know, static warp bubble with a phaser or whatever that bullshit was. Your weakest weak shit award. Shit. Yeah. yeah, it was the weakest shit is what it was. What about you, Joe? What do you oh, give first, to? It was for sure the best part of time and again. Um... I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it the nod because you know, the early performances of Cardassian Holloway are rarely appreciated, and um, it was the high point of an otherwise low episode. You know, it, it really conveyed that we're in a power station. <laughs> we're no longer in Southern California. We are definitely in a power station. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely no longer at a Southern California so, water treatment plant like we've been for the rest of this episode, wearing some discount Kwanzaa gear we got at the dollar store. So you're saying that you were in, you were into Cardassian hallway before it was popular. That's very hipster of you, Joe. It's, 
Thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, it's got to be the only saving grace of that episode. I mean, talk about the weakest. I, I keep thinking about it. Like, the aliens were just humans. They weren't. They didn't have any like shit on their forehead. They didn't have any weird shit in their hair, like a cat toy in their hair. <laughs> they were just humans in crappy clothes. That's what they did. And then they just shot it at that water treatment facility and gave the guys batons and and glocks and called it good. Yeah. Oh, God. Joe, what are you going to do with your worst justification for violating the Prime Directive? Because that happens a couple of times. Let's, let's recap real quick. Um, we've got, of course, the caretaker incident where Janeway decides that rather than just teleport the ship home once they study uh, caretaker station, she decides to blow it up to keep it away from the Kazon. Uh, you have, of course, the candy corn tragedy where an entire planet's going to die, and now all of a sudden she's got morals, but then later goes on to reveal the plot anyways. What else we got? Uh, there was stealing the technology, uh, or getting the technology to go home from the Skevians. Right. There was Harry Kim uh, shattering the belief structures of uh, the Kevorkian buttheads. With, it wasn't uh, Janeway's fault, though. That was I'm Harry not blaming Kim. this on Janeway. I'm just saying justification. Just for worse justification. Yeah. Uh, many people violate the Prime Directive in Season 1 in a plethora of of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give Harry Kim a pass in that episode because a, I I will defend that I will be the world's biggest defender of that episode. I loved it. Uh, I definitely one of the. I'd say it's number two on my list of best. Is episodes. anybody in the chat room willing to put emanations in their top two for season one? Show of hands, please. Someone, someone, bail me out. Someone. Mm -hmm. Joe, I don't see the chat room either. <laughs> I loved it. Number two for me for sure. I what else? Was, what I other? What other good prime directive violations yes! do we have? Yes, McConville just came through for me. I have one other defender of emanations in this goddamn chat, chat room, Peter. Mm -hmm. You cannot take that away from me. I'm assuming that there was a PayPal payment that was just made from you to Jess. <laughs> I think you just bribed somebody. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what, 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 oh yeah, uh, breaking the prime directive. Uh, we had what else? Someone, what prime? It, it, let's ask in the chat if there's any prime directive breaches that we failed to mention. I think we've got four so far. I'm trying to think if there was any in the later episodes. I don't think there were. Um. I'm looking for Oh, Seska. Seska was breaking the prime directive. In state of flux. It, you call that a, a breach of the prime directive. I don't think that was a prime directive issue because the Kazon were a post-warp society. Uh she was breaking Starfleet protocol rules and certainly violating, you know, the 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 captain's domain, but I don't think she was actually breaking prime directive. I don't think that the Prime Directive necessarily requires uh, has anything to do with um, it. Be is it? Does it always have to do with a warp capable civilization? I know that not interfering with a, a non warp capable civilization is part of it, but as my memory serves, in the episode of Enterprise, I guess that would come later though. Like the, there's an episode of Enterprise where like the foundation of the Prime Directive is set, 
and uh, the rationale behind it is very much rooted in an incident of actual biological evolution causing one race on a planet to die out and instead of uh, and helping that race would cause another to be subjugated rather than be allowed to evolve. Um, but I guess I don't know. I would qualify the whole thing with with the with the Kmart Klingons to be a prime directive issue. Hmm. I, I I disagree with you on that one. I think by that then <clears throat> uh, the actions that were taken at the end of Jatral would have classified as a uh, as a prime directive violation than to using the transporter yeah, technology okay, to undo something. And I, they'd make no mention of that up there. Oh, uh, so Jackson's also backing me up on emanations. So. That's well, that's Jess, that's Jess and Ian who have now both been written off <laughs> my good opinion list. You guys, you guys are beasts. man, that episode is so cool and how it's how it's framed and like really trying to convey how fucked up that situation is. I thought it was it was really neat, like how they real tight focus and weird like Dutch angles and shit. Like it was like one of the few episodes of the whole season that like they were trying to do shit with a camera. Like all <laughs> everything you just said, I heard it in a very sarcastic voice mocking that episode, and I found myself agreeing with you. Sadly, you weren't being sarcastic. Uh, so for for the big, the worst uh, prime directive violation, uh, I'm gonna go with Candy Corn Tragedy time and again. Um, and I guess my it was her not violating the prime directive really is is what I was sore about there that she had just come off such a massive violation in the caretaker incident and then to decide that you know what this planet's gonna die and we don't care and uh now we're gonna mosey along until i have this passing thought that hey maybe we're somehow causing this and then all of a sudden we're gonna turn the tables she directly orders paris you will not tell these people what's going on and i think if you're gonna take like crimes you can't judge the kevin uxbridge incident of uh you know Erasing the Horagon with the Husnock. Yeah. Um, Husnock, yeah. And and the Vidians stealing people's organs and that other stuff. Like, some third party was to come in and judge Jaywin. Like, you could have saved an entire planet and you didn't. Like, you're, I, you're I, guilty. I think that you make an excellent point that in, in light of what she did in Caretaker, what she chooses to do in time and again makes no sense. She's clearly willing to break the prime directive to save people that, you know, otherwise would, it would be a violation to save them. Um, but I, I'd still have to give it up to caretaker. Nothing. You, you can't beat the original. They stranded themselves in the Delta quadrant specifically so she could break the prime directive and bail out a bunch of mayfly space elves from being picked on by the Kmart Klingons. And instead of, thinking of a way to have her cake and eat it too, of blowing up the caretaker array with like bombs and shit that would go off after they leave or nothing like that. Just like, we're going to involve ourselves in some shit that by our own rules, we shouldn't involve ourselves in strand ourselves here. I know they had to come up with a way to strand themselves in the Delta quadrant, but I, I could think of a thousand better ways. Literal. I, I think you it. and I could sit here and come up with 1000 good reasonable reasons 
to, to have made the premise of this entire show that wouldn't haunt it. Uh, and not only does it haunt it, it, it's haunting it to the audience. The rest of the crew has seemed content up through season one with maybe one example uh, otherwise of times that they just completely give Janeway a pass card on fucking everyone over. Uh, I'm, I'm done giving awards to season one, my friend. You don't want to go with the shittiest crew member? Okay, you know what? One more. Let's do the shittiest crew member. Um, gosh, it's kind of a two-man race to me. Um, Harry Kim doesn't do enough to really be the shittiest crew member. You know? Mm-hmm. He has one episode that's a focus. I really liked that episode, so he's not in the running. It's between Neelix and Chakotay. And between the two, you know what? I'm going to say Neelix. It's not Chakotay. All because of learning curve and that and and uh, state of flux. Like he has two, two or three really good scenes in the in the first season. He does a lot of dumb shit and a lot of wallflower shit particularly early on but there as the season went on he actually had a few good moments neelix had one episode where he was tolerable and it was really only because he was sharing screen time with like a-list guest talent and that a-list guest talent carried the scene and like michael jordan and bulls you play with good players they seem better than they really are like you're catching balls from tom brady you're going to seem like you're a world beater wide receiver. Um, so, yeah, ne- Neelix is my worst, shittiest crew member. He, he served no purpose except to violate OSHA and 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 health code crap. He almost killed the ship with cheese. I um, uh, wouldn't be surprised if there was like a salmonella outbreak on the ship at some point. Um, I want to point out he licks his hands while he's preparing people's food. This guy is filthy. You know, he's touching his balls and he's making dough with it. Oh, hell yes. He's a dirty space cat. <laughs> and uh, most of the scenes he's in, you just kind of want to just smother him to death with a pillow. And it's just awful. Let me quantify this question here. Uh, I, I see some activity in our chat. We're not saying who is the worst actor. We're going well, it's definitely that. Garrett Wang is the worst actor on the show. But the worst character is Neelix. You're going to say Garrett Wang's a worse actor than Robert Beltran? Yes. Mm, bold words. Uh, I mean, I, it's 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 like what's worse, getting punched in the groin or being stabbed in the eye? Like, both are bad, but one is clearly worse. Neelix is not certified in safety and sanitation. Neelix is not certified in common sense. That's the ongoing theme here. So my shittiest crew member was also split between Neelix, uh, who, <clears throat> again, I've made the point many times, I think if you were to write everything he does down on paper, it is impossible not to view him as somebody who is actively sabotaging the ship, whether it's through uh, cheese, fungal poisonings, uh, or maybe we should make a list because he, he's got some really good <laughs> interrupting a red alert, super critical time to serve hors d'oeuvres. Yeah, taking hors d'oeuvre service to the bridge. Uh, I I'm going to have to make a laundry list for season two of all the shit he does. And we'll have to have an ongoing list. Uh, my other my other pick, and I think it's going to be the one I have to go with, is Janeway. Even moving past her initial 
catastrophic decision that strands this entire crew you know it's the conundrum you keep coming back to that sometimes she's an awesome captain mode and sometimes she is an emotional wreck uh so many of the problems that they encounter in season one just repeatedly ultimately fall at her feet um that it's it's very difficult to reconcile how there hasn't been a mutiny certainly through the maquis ranks but even even starfleet like she is bad for business in the delta quadrant and i i can't argue that that's the main weakness of the show for me um akim walker is a great actress i've said that many times in many of our episodes um and when she is able to have good material with Janeway, she comes off as an awesome character. Um, unfortunately, that's very uneven. And there's a lot of times where she is unfathomably shitty at being a Starfleet captain in a way that is almost immersion-breaking in its ridiculousness. Yeah. I'd, I'd say it's a valid choice, but I still think Melix is probably worse. Um, I, will, I will say, though, shout out to a pleasant surprise. Kess was way better possibly could have remembered throughout season one when i think of like the best episodes uh, best scenes and even bad episodes it's the it's Cass and the doctor that are standouts every time she holds down the fort in every like going through reviewing my notes it was uh candy corn tragedy which is just a black mark on everybody's record where she's like in (laughs) maximum troy mode where she's like crying herself hysterical in dark rooms that aside, yeah, man, she is a righteous paladin. And maybe it's just the times have changed and stuff like that feels better to see or we're more accepting. But um, I felt she was a real strong point throughout the entire season. So hats off to her. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I'm a huge Robert Picardo fan. So I knew I was going to love the doctor, but I did not expect to be like, oh, wow, Kess is neat. Yeah. Like, I like the dichotomy they have with their characters. I guess I kind of forgot this was actually pretty good. So I always was real love seven of nine and the doctor because she kind of takes over that role, obviously when Jerry Ryan joins the show and they're great too, but I forgot this was also a good release was great in the first yeah. season. So I want to open up the floor to our, uh, our audience and, and viewers out there right now. Um, we're going to move away from our best of worst of any questions or uh, strong observations, things you guys have seen as we've been, reviewing these episodes that you think we should have covered or questions you've got for us. Yeah. And while uh, those are formulated, Peter, I wanted to ask you, um, it's just a general Trek question that I don't think we've ever discussed. And I've always been interested in your opinion. Uh, I never got your feelings on the uh, Trek movie universe. Not, I'm not JJ averse aside. That's, Ke- that's a, Kelvin Universe. So yeah, Kelvin Universe stuff. That's going to entirely you can do a whole podcast. I think about that. Um, but like the mainline Trek movies from the TOS six through the TNG movies. I, I mean, what are your feelings on those? I, I'm a huge fan of uh, a lot of the movies that some people think are bad in that canon. Um, my favorite's definitely Star Trek six, The Undiscovered Country. Like it laps the field for me, uh, but I I'm the world's biggest defender of Generations too, which everyone seems to shit on. So. Generations was a real hard one for me. If we're gonna jump back into the original movies, um, the Voyage Home, you know, 
a lot of that stuff I liked for little kid value. Uh, Undiscovered Country, obviously huge. Um, <clears throat> I've gone back and tried to rewatch the original motion picture a few times just from the interest in that is really the foundation of what next gen became uh will decker will riker the deltoid the betas i mean there's a lot of concepts in there that got rehashed um there's some pretty interesting stuff along the way there but uh, next gen again is where my strength really comes in i i had a lot of angst about uh generations I was real salty they destroyed the D. I read the, you know, Star Trek technical manual. I knew the right way to fucking uh, land the saucer section. Uh, okay, the, let's really drive, yo. The, the, the bullshit uh, sucker punch that uh, the Duras sisters landed that had some 100-year-old warbird take out a galaxy class bothered the hell out of me. But um, – I thought I think the story could... overall was neat, though. Like, I kind of bought it. I mean, yeah, I agree that they kind of phoned it in the space stuff so they could justify destroying the D, which sure. I don't think they should have done. I mean, I, I know why the... they wanted to, because it looked shitty on film, which is why all the lights are low in that movie. They had to turn down the lights and, and, and you know, they had they built that stellar cartography set and some other stuff to try and hide the fact they were still shooting on TV sets. Something that kind of boggles the mind the more I watch TNG and then I see this Voyager stuff. The concept of having your families with you in space and all of the problems they run across. Just watching Janeway needlessly endanger her crew. The the concept of the D was a real exercise and like the the hubris of the Federation to think you could bring civilians onto what is oftentimes called to be a war vessel. Uh, bad call. And I think, you know, bringing the E out, the sovereign class um, gives uh, Picard a lot more options where you're not constantly like, wait a minute, you got kids on board, what the fuck? Uh, but so we do have I, some, we have some good discussion problems. Just real quick, let me wrap your thoughts out there. Yeah. Uh, Generations uh, gets better. First Contact, obviously the best. Insurrection, I really liked it when I was a little kid and it came out. I'm afraid to watch it again because I think it might be really stupid. Uh, and then Nemesis, I thought was a great way to end the franchise. I know you weren't really a big fan of it, but um, it was. I think it that would have been a great. That would have been a great movie in the hands of someone who really understood TNG. Yeah. Um, for it, it like had elements that I think were were ready. Tom Hardy is a great actor. Obviously, getting him in Shinzon was awesome. Mm-hmm. Using the Romulans as the last pro- antagonist, like they needed to have Commander Tomalock in that shit. They needed somebody who understood TNG to get that right. And they didn't, so it just wasn't. And it was what they had a couple two. They had two uh, of these like stupid insurrection esque, you know, whiz bang moments just because. Um, but I will say that that that's another movie I would defend as not being nearly as bad as some people think. Like I think Generations and Insurrection, or Generations and Nemesis were better than average. I think Insurrection was an absolute piece of shit. Um, I'd rank that down with like Star Trek five in the fucking basement of Star Trek movies. But, um, I think three of the four TNG movies actually were at least better than average and, and first contact may be the only great one, but, um, I think people, people, people rate those TNG movies, I think a little too, uh, low, but, um, uh, we have some quality discussion prompts here. 
uh, Hackajack, uh, Star Trek Voyager in the current day. No dipping into Battlestar Galactica cast, which is fucking mean. Uh, what would be the 21st century equivalent of Chakotay's native spiritualism? I love this one. Let's let's go through it. Let's let's go through the comments. Let's, let's let's clarify. Are we saying what what are we what minority are we going to abuse and exploit for uh, a role on a show, or or what you know could we really do service and and flesh out cool? I think that that's up to us. I think we should answer that question based on our level of hate. I know what direction I'm going, Peter. This is a pretty deep question. I thought for a second he was asking us just to recast the entire show, and I was like, I, I can't do that. I'm going to have to really put some real homework in on this. Uh, what, what's your answer to this question, Joe? Well, I, I, let's, let's recast it. I think you can do that pretty easily. No, I, I'm not recasting the entire cast. Oh, come right. on. Dude, I need to sit and put real thought into this. If you want to fire a few let's off, go it. ahead. But, but let's stick to the question. The equivalent of Chakotay's native spiritualism. All right. Um, All right. If we're going to cop out and we're only going to do one, I'm going to say absolutely. Uh, I would cast uh, a monotheist, probably a Christian. And that would be like faith in God. Like, let's, let, if we're going to go down that route, let's make it mainstream faith in, 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 uh, in a monotheistic God of some, in some way. So you're going to go the Mass Effect, uh, what was the name of the? chick who dies in one it's her the other guy because she was hardcore catholic and they really harp like that i thought was kind of a low point for mass effect one um i think if we're going to go for what trendy religious thing we kind of want to abuse and just keep dragging out i don't know some some yoga enlightened pacifistic stuff that would be '90s as shit. Like, if we're going to make a 21st century version, you know, of like, if if the idea is to make it a a like a, a person that has like novel spiritual beliefs that we do in like a touristy way, uh, I would say a Scientologist. That would be fun as shit. Some Zeno believing motherfucker who thinks like, oh, I'm in the stars now. I'm going to find the planet that belongs to me and find the Zenu asshole and fucking really give him what for. Mm. Um, hey, l- l- yeah, I'm, let me let me get some more thought on this. Oh, that's too question. good a question. I'm ready to recast the show, but we'll move on. Uh, maybe we can do that as a bit in one of our actual podcasts. Might be a good uh, forum post, too. There you go. That would be good. We'll do that. We'll we'll do that as a, a post in the group. So episode 14, Faces, was released in May 8th, 1995. Uh, Face Off was released uh, June 27th, 1997. How much was John Woo inspired by Star Trek? Definitely not at all. <laughs> I haven't seen any uh, uh, white doves flying around any Star Trek scenes. I haven't seen any... Uh, akimbo style phaser play no i mean there's some i think there's there's some tight possibilities there you know let's not let's not hire uh um quentin tarantino for the next uh kelvin timeline movie let's let's get john woo on there let's get some doves. The real question to ask between faces uh and its connection in other places Again, we're gonna have to go back into Star Trek Insurrection, which came out in '98, and I don't remember what the hell they were called the the Briar, whatever the bad guys were in uh, Insurrection. 
were basically the oh, same. The, thing. Um, the Sona. The Sona, yeah. So uh, they were the same type of deal where evil, monstrous aliens who were stealing people's skin and grafting it onto them. And I guess what, Vidians would have been first, because if uh, Insurrection came out in 98 and Faye says was 95, I mean, that's where that ammunition came from. I think there's definitely a stronger case to be made that they might have been inspired by the Vidians for them. Absolutely. Uh, same, same people were in charge, you know, the whole franchise, you know, and they just kind of took that idea and went a slightly different direction on it, and boom. I, I buy that. Um, next question. I'd love your thoughts on ship design. Not locking doors aside, I'd really like the design. I really like the design inside and out of Voyager. Um, we talk about this in the pilot, man. I think we're both on board that uh, Voyager is a very strong design. So strong, I think, that it's, it's clear that the Enterprise E, the Sovereign class, is built heavily on this uh, this dagger-like um, structure. The Voyager is the first ship to feature hero ship to feature a abstract bridge, and by that I mean, you know, you don't have a mirror of the con and ops, and then you know everything kind of symmetrical around the captain. It's it's different stations, and it looks like real work's getting done with multiple panels. It's also the largest bridge I think you ever really see in a Star Trek. It's multi-level and surface area or square footage. It's uh, it's the biggest that they roll out. To roll around, um, I love the hot rod look of the ship. Um, it, it matches. It's supposed to be like a light cruiser that's real fast. Um, the exterior design's great. Now, the interior design, all Berman era Trek, everything looks like it's a fucking conference center on a holiday inn. Yeah. Um, no getting around that. Voyager, I like that they turned down the, the white lights and yellow lights for more blues. I think that suits the look. It, I think the best, let's, let's segue, I think the best bridge look we ever see in a Star Trek uh, property outs before prior to the JJ verse, um, in my opinion, it's Enterprise, followed closely by Star Trek Six. The Enterprise bridge looks like, you know, uh, it's it's asymmetrical. Uh, it it looks like a, a functional bridge of a big ship of some way. It almost looks like a submarine, almost like. You know, down periscope like it, it, it obviously that's the one that came last so maybe they had more time to sort of nuance a, a look for it but that looked the whole look on enterprise in my opinion is way stronger than any other uh berman era trek stuff sick bay looks great like all of the environments inside the ship look very unique it's much more metal it's much more confined and feels more like this is a starship to me through and through. Voyager, the Defiant, Deep Space Nine, to a lesser extent, but still, and the D all look like fucking goddamn motel conference rooms. Now, the flip side to this, of course, you know, Jess was talking specifically about Voyager, but one of my biggest gripes about this season 
and probably should have been a run up for my weakest shit award is just the the production completely phoning it in on every alien design out there with the exception of the Kazon Nistrum ship that we encounter in uh, um, the Seska episode all of these starships that we encounter for other races just look boring garbage it looks like stuff that you know you could have made out of milk cartons uh, plaster of Paris and some water color paints uh, really a lot of missed opportunities does it get better in the later episodes do we actually get to see some cool looking stuff other than the Voyager no, quite frankly. Hmm. Um, we see... I take it back. There's there's an episode where they run into a ship called the Dauntless that is well-designed. Actually, basically, when Federation shit gets on screen, that shit's pretty cool. Uh, but they run into the Delta Quadrant. No, not in my opinion. Um, and, and I think you hit on a perfect point maybe wrap up on if i'm going to define season one of star trek voyager with any one sentiment it's going to be phoning it in phoning it in on the plots phoning it in on the third act phoning it in on character design on costume design on alien design on alien ship design phoning it in on structure Many times these guys fell ass backwards into good story hooks. And only once can I unqualified say that they actually delivered on a quality episode of television through that hook. Every other time I think of episodes that I, even the ones I kind of liked, fucked it up significantly in some way, usually at the end. With uh, pro- with uh, um, prime factors, the beginning being the weak part of that. It's phoning it in, like the, if for a ship. If for I'm sorry, for a show that had a ton of money, a ton of attention. I mean, millions upon millions upon millions of people tuning into this every week, and was the anchor of a launch of an entirely new network. They really went out of their way to not put in their best effort. A, a syndicated show that went off the air four months before that was probably functioned on a fraction of the budget was manifestly better than they were at creating quality television programming that had that was good from beginning to end. Uh, yeah, again, missed opportunities and uh, a failure to deliver. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to say that. I don't regret having watched the season and uh, the characters, you know, have, have grown on me. It's cool for me again, to not have really touched the Voyager property to have this time capsule of, you know, Berman era star Trek there to, to digest and kind of flesh out my knowledge of Federation, Federation technologies and, and little excerpt excerpts and, yeah. and quips. The techno babble has been surprisingly strong. Yeah. Um, just, uh, one more time before we head out, I've shared the link to the GoFundMe. We, uh, Peter and I, in lieu of wanting any kind of uh, donations or support or do the podcast, we, we, we are fortunate that we, we have no need of such things. However, if you have enjoyed the podcast and you are in a giving mood uh, to support what we have done, we would instead ask you to 
donate to the to the GoFundMe that I've put into the chat uh, as a way of saying thank you. It's for a mutual acquaintance of uh, Peter and I, and and uh, it's certainly a worthy cause uh, given given what the uh, cats and her family are facing. So we thank you for your attention to that and. And, and uh, review us. Yeah, review us, please. Share the podcast. Uh, uh, review the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on uh, uh, give us thumbs up and subscribe on YouTube. Um, uh, review us on Facebook. Spread the word. Um, the, the audience has actually slowly grown. Peter and I are, are really happy to see more and more people tuning in. We're getting close to that, uh, uh, I would say, like the 100 constant listeners every episode point um you know we've we're, we're you know for something we just started a, a couple months ago it feels good um keep bringing people in we're doing this because we like to do it but we're also like to entertain people so the more the merrier maybe next big time we do you. a live stream there'll be more than seven people watching well big thank you to those seven for hanging out with us on a monday night uh Absolutely. anybody out in the chat room got anything you want us to say on the air to be forever recorded in uh podcast infamy yeah, memorialize on the internet. We'll give you a second to think about that. Um, if you have one hope for season two, Peter, knowing, of course, we've already seen one episode, what would it be? God, that was so bad. <laughs> the one good thing to come out of that. Next week, guys, trust me. A big thing I wanted to talk about on this, and unfortunately, the first episode of season two answers it, which is, you know, what happens if someone on Voyager wants to get off this crazy train and just say, fuck it, this planet's good enough. I'm going to stay here. I'm done with the. Uh, uh, the number one thing I want to see, other than Jerry Ryan in that cat suit, um, you have to wait till season four, my friend. I'm sorry to say. I would like to see um, just good decisions. I mean, you can have bad things happen even with good decisions. That's what the Skeevians have taught us. That's what I the Needle showed you is that you could have people put in their best efforts and things just not go your way. Uh, you've got smart people. You got really smart people on this crew, just being needlessly dumb, and it takes me out of the moment, and it makes me groan and roll my eyes. So I would like to see better writing. Uh, yeah, I, I if what I was going to say is going to kind of be a corollary to better writing. I want to see better finishing. I want to see. I want to see strong endings. I want to see things not just kind of peter out at the end, like. When I think of all the episodes that we watched, the majority of them, I I think if you go back to the to the episode we did about it, one of my complaints is going to be, and then the episode ends and it's stupid. I just I just want some 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 episodes I feel in strong, and unfortunately for us, the thirty sevens did not deliver. Yeah. So my friends. I hope you have enjoyed this little ride with us uh, down memory lane. Uh, you are awesome. Thanks for listening. Uh, we will repost this as our episode uh, this week to our normal feeds on iTunes and so forth. And you can expect our review of Season 2, Episode 1, The 37s, next Thursday. Not this Thursday, but next Thursday. So until then, this has been Vija, please. A hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. Joe, good luck on your uh, procedure you got coming up here. We'll all be rooting for you. And I'm not going to say that uh, this is a result of any ill wishes that I called down on you following faces, but uh, 
you know what happens when you when you debate me and try and turn to the internet to tarnish my Star Trek opinion. Um, keep yeah, that in mind. Work out well. yeah. uh, All right, guys. Well. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Peace.